A friend recommended a book to me recently called Ridgeline. Uh, that was Lynn, by the way, Jan, that recommended that to me. How many have maybe heard of that or read that? Or yeah, uh, no, no. It was a good book. It was a, it was recounting a historical uh, event. If you like stories where Native Americans kill a lot of white European settlers, this is the book for you. You will just find it very entertaining. Uh, I, it was it, it, it was interesting. There were moments where, you know, kind of uh, were hard to read, but uh, it's a true story. It was back, um, not the Santa Fe Trail, but the Bozeman Trail that went west. Uh, they, they, they used that trail to get out to the gold rush. That was the idea of it when, it when it was started. And it went right through Native American land, Native American territory that, that had been, you know, we'd signed treaties and, and that was going to be theirs. And then we just made a trail through it uh, and put a fort on it. And, uh, you know, all's well and good. It wasn't really a fort that they'd put enough thought and time and effort into. They didn't send enough guys. They didn't send enough ammunition, enough supplies. It was very under-provisioned. But really the big problem was that, uh, that they underestimated their enemy. They didn't understand at all what they were dealing with. They would get these little attacks, you know, Crazy Horse and some of his men would, would attack just a few, few of them at a time and maybe inflict a little damage and maybe kill one person here, one person there. And they kind of thought that was the total sum of what the Native Americans could bring. What was happening was Crazy Horse was studying them. So all of these little tiny incursions were all, let's just watch what signals go between them and how they react and what they do. And they, they got it all planned out, and they brought a couple thousand more Native Americans than we thought existed, practically, and uh, had them waiting on the other side of the ridge line, and then they got one of those little skirmishes, and they got them to leave their fort and come chase that little tiny band, and then, yeah. Yeah, it's like the, I think they called it like the Battle of the 100 Dead or something like that. I think that was the, what the Native Americans called it. Uh, yeah, it was bad. It was bad for those that were, uh, you know, were, were part of the American forces. It's a mistake to underestimate and not understand your enemy. That, that is when things get dangerous, is when we don't understand what we're dealing with, what, we're, what, what stands on the other side. We're, we're here in Philippi, it's Paul's campaign to the Philippians, and, and last time, this is going back before uh, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, but uh, you'll remember that they'd gone down to the waters where there were Jewish women, and they'd preached the gospel there, and uh, Lydia trusted Christ. And then we get to something that happened after this. We could call this, um, oh, I don't know, I'd come up with a creative title. Maybe we'd call it something like The Empire Strikes Back. That hasn't been taken, has it? Um, that's kind of what happens. The, the, this, this, is the, this is the answer to that. It's, it, it's, it's the satanic uh, attack from, from darkness pushing back against the gospel. It's not a massacre, and, and it's not that the gospel loses. It's not even really that the gospel servants under, that, uh, you know, under those circumstances didn't understand what they were dealing with. But we, in reading this chapter, I think, it's, it's, of course, it's historical, and, and some of it's just, on the one hand, about how the gospel spread. But there are principles in here for us as the church and as Christians within the church that we need to take to heart. And, and so here's the big idea. You've got it in your bulletin. Expect the darkness to resist the gospel. As a church, the, we know that if we, are, if we are proclaiming the gospel, if we are believing the gospel, that d- the darkness is around us and it will push back even, dare I say it, in Great Bend, Kansas. I know, right, we live close to the kingdom on earth as you get here in Great Bend, but 
Yeah. Well, go to Louisville sometime. And that's how you say it, Louisville. Um, <laughs> go there sometime or any big city and you start to think maybe this is the kick. But no, I mean, there is darkness actually here, right? Right here in River City, right here in, in, in Great Bend, Kansas. And, and we need to be aware of it. And if we aren't aware of it, and if we don't understand how that operates within the church, or even if our hearts just lose sight of it, because we can know up here, but it's another thing for our hearts to really understand what's, what's coming through here, then, then we can be unsettled at the very least, and, may, and, and some people could be you know, shot off in the wrong direction if they don't see and understand the tactics of our enemy. So first of all, the attack may come when we simply seek to worship the Lord. And uh, right on the face of it, you know that has to be true. How do you explain the pilgrims? How do you explain so many people through the ages? And what is it they've all, these groups have always wanted to do? We just want to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. And how many times has that been the very focus where, where Satan's attack uh, you know, comes into play? Or you think about uh, sh- church shootings and, and, and things like that. The devil, uh, yeah, the devil's not interested in our worship or that we, that we worship. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke had started well at Philippi. You'll recall that, man, everything started great. Like, this was unusually great. <laughs> I'm thinking I put myself in their place and how wonderful it had to have been. They had a vision. Like, I wish all my Sunday morning messages came with a vision to begin them with. Like, how easy would that be? Here's what you're going to preach, Jay. Just do this. That would be awesome. So they hurt the end of the man in Macedonia, and they catch a ship, and it does, like, we, we know based on what, Paul, what Luke tells us, actually, in this instance, we, we know that they made incredible time, and they get there, and they go down to the river. They don't even have to yell, or, you know, they're just there, and they just sit down, and the women gather around, and they just... They just tell them the gospel, and it, and it falls on receptive hearts, and Lydia believes, and it's just, a, it's just a beautiful thing. And I can't truly put myself in Paul's position, because he was an apostle, and he'd gone through way more than I'll ever go through, but I kind of feel like there's something that resonates with me here, and I don't think Paul was naive, but if I were Paul, <laughs> see, you know ministry's hard, and you're you're sort of prepared for it, but when things go well, you who have been in ministry, and you're like cooking along, and it's a beautiful time, we're just, we're just, it's just going well, and we're down by the river, and people are listening to us, and the water's trickling in the background, and it all seems so good and so positive, and then people believe, and we're like, yes, God has finally given me within ministry this time of peace and, and tranquility, and the gospel's gonna flourish, and that's almost always when, you know, boom, <laughs> something happens, and, and you're like, whoa, there's still a devil, and there's still opposition that, that's out there. Um, here's, what, here's what happened with Paul. So you, but bear in mind, everything's gone really well. He's, he's been persecuted already many times in the past. He's already been stoned once and so forth. But as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. They were not looking for this girl. She was looking for them. They were minding their own business. They were on their way to do what? Worship the Lord. Hang out with other believers. Enjoy the fellowship of, of believers. Preach the word of God. And in, in, all at once, she, they, they get this, this weirdo following them. 
I mean, I, I, that's what we would probably think of. It says uh, that you have this, this slave girl who's possessed by what well, says a spirit of divination in the English, and that's just kind of an accommodation because if I told you what it actually says here, you'd be like, what's that? Uh, I'll give you the Greek. It's a pneuma, pneuma, sorry, pneuma, 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 so you hear in the first one the word, maybe you hear the word pneumonia in that. It's, it's the word spirit. And then the second word, I'll say it again, puthona. What does that sound like? You go, I have no clue. Python. Python, the word from which we get the word python was a deity. It was a snake deity, a, dra- a, a dragon serpent-like deity. And according to the Greek understanding, this deity, which I think had actually been, strangely enough, killed by one of the other gods, but so I don't know why it was still spooking around, but it would come upon women in particular, and then when that spirit came upon them, they would, they would have the ability to tell fortunes. So she's a slave twice over. She's a slave to men, and she's a slave to, um, to the demonic, and, and immediately she starts causing problems for Paul and his co- co- co-workers, which we're going to get into here in a second What I want you to see, though, at this point is simply that Paul was minding his own business. (laughs) He was minding the business of the gospel. He was enjoying a time of peace and tranquility where the gospel was just mm, on fire. Good things were happening, and people were happy, and, 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 this, and, and the fellowship was sweet. And it's right at that moment that he's attacked. And I'm not getting into this sort of Frank Peretti thing here. But I guess the point I want to make to you right off the bat is as a church, when we gather together and it's a beautiful thing, is it a beautiful thing for you? It's, it is for me. Um, and you're thinking, ah, oh, it's just so peaceful and good and everything. Understand we are not simply innocently worshiping our God when we come together. We are not just innocently worshiping God. We're declaring war. Did you, did you know that just your presence here, we're, we're declaring war? You're like, I, I didn't come in here to declare war. But we are. We are declaring war with all, you know, all, to all the principalities and powers, all of the dark forces in the world. That's how they would understand it. We're, we're like sailing the Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier through the South China Sea. We're going, we're just sailing, man. I don't know what you think about this. And China's like, that's, that's like an act of war to us. That's an act of military aggression. The church is here preaching and believing the gospel. And people will get saved and, and grow in their faith. And that is a declaration. We are flying the banner of Christ. And so, of course, you know, it's going to be right in, in that worship of God in the church that we, that we find that nexus where the devil pushes back. Does that sound faithful to the word here? Okay, give you to think about. The attack is often veiled in half-truths. Python girl lets loose. It says, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now maybe it's unfair to say that it's half-truths because if you actually analyze that, is there anything really truly false about anything she says there? These men are servants. Yes, Paul counts himself a servant, calls himself a servant of the most high God. Hallelujah. Um, oh, wait, that was, okay. Uh, the, the, sorry, I apologize. Um, yeah, they're servants of the Most High God. That's, God's even referred to in the Old Testament as the God, God Most High, so that's not false. Proclaiming the way of salvation, 
absolutely everything she says in one sense is true. What's not to like? Well, imagine for a moment that some crazed woman were sitting here in the service today, sounding like she had been smoking Marlboros, like by the carton per day for the last 40 years, and right as I'm trying to make my points, she jumps up and goes, listen to him, he's a servant of the Most High God. You'd be like, well, that's a little disconcerting, isn't it? Like, what kind of weird church have I wandered into today? Like, well, there is something really off about this place. And it didn't do any favors for, for Paul to, to have her uh, there, you know, saying these kinds of things. It would not have landed well with his Jewish listeners. I don't even think the pagans thought that that was completely okay. Like, this gal's, yeah, she's possessed of a python spirit. Maybe, you know, maybe that's not exactly helping the gospel a whole lot. And I think if there's an application for this, it's that when we face opposition from, from the darkness in various forms, it's not always going to announce itself to where we go, okay, that's clearly a falsehood coming against the church. Paul talks to the Ephesian elders in, in Acts chapter 20, and we'll get there, but there he says, you know, that it'll be people out of your own midst, and, and they'll rise up, and they'll be teaching twisted things. So not altogether false, but twisted. You take the truth, and you, and, and you just manipulate it a little bit. You, you bring it just a little bit uh, to where it no longer really fits. And, and, and as a church, we have to be discerning of that. We know that darkness still exists. We know that the devil is still at work. And so we, we, we must discern that there will be those that will come and they will try to speak in half-truths and pull people away. So that, this is a good reason to be in church, people. This is a good reason to be in church because it's as you're in church worshiping with the people of God, constantly under the preaching of the word of God, sharing with other believers, that you come to, to truly know and your heart embrace the reality of the gospel. And then when something that's not the gospel comes along, you go, hmm, that doesn't fit. Sounds good, sounds, but, but it's not the same thing. All right, the attack will often impinge on the gospel. There's a good word, impinge, meaning it will, it will, it will affect negatively. It will, it will constrain the gospel. Paul gets annoyed. You know, clearly Paul is being harassed on what feels like a very personal level, but I think he considers the attack an attack on the gospel. That's, that's what I think really annoys him. It says, and this she kept doing for many days. So she just, you know, picture this kind of Linda Blair-like woman following Paul along, saying over and, and over this same message. And having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, not to the woman, but to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. I was, this was not a temper tantrum on Paul's part. I mean, yeah, he's annoyed, and I think he came across sounding annoyed when he spoke to the demon, but again, I don't think it's because, oh, you know, who are you to talk to Paul that way? I think his annoyance is that this is detracting from the preaching of the gospel. It's keeping people from being able to really hear and listen. I'm sure some people went, I'm not going any, you know, that guy's interesting, but I don't want to get anywhere near him as long as Python girl is following him and screaming at the top of her lungs all the time. I just can't handle that. I'm not going to go. And I think that's what Paul senses. In football, uh, for which I have such great, deep experiences, uh, 
Yeah, not so much. But I do know a little bit about football. Uh, I know that, you know, the offense and the defense pretty much know what they're supposed to be doing when they're out there, don't they? Yeah? I mean, they, I believe the offense is trying to carry the ball one direction down the field. And I believe the defense is, is their job, their role is more or less to stop them from doing that. You know, goal number one, I guess, is stop them. Goal number two, hurt them really badly. Um, but the third goal is almost more primary. That's strip them of the football. Like when, when they, when you got, if you're carrying the ball and you're on the offense, that guy's trying to stop you, hurt you, but, but he really, really, really wants to strip you of the football. And when we think about the darkness that, that we are up against from, from the spiritual realms of darkness, key and number one is they want to stop the gospel. They want to strip the church of the gospel. They, they, they want to render the church ineffective and powerless when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel because it is through the gospel that men and women are saved. The enemy wants to derail the church. And how many different ways are there? There's just sadly too many. There's so many ways. You think about false doctrine, uh, sin, moral failure, uh, worldliness working itself into the church, uh, re- trying to go toward worldly methods of, 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 you know, actually getting away from the gospel and trying to win people first with some appealing message and then sneak the gospel in. All these different things can, can disrupt and actually end up blunting the gospel. And, and, and that's because the aim of our enemy is to strip us of the football. The aim of the, aim of the enemy is to do whatever he can in order to blunt that. And so, again, we need to be aware of that. What, what, what's the offensive person that carries the football supposed to do with that knowledge? I, I mean, I never coached football. I'm looking for some of our coaches here. But what would you do if you didn't want the football stripped from you? Hold it out like, hey, taunt people with it. Come on, just try to get this. No, you're going to be like, oh, come on. I'm, 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 I'm taking this and I'm holding it close because this is the football. This is what they can't take. The gospel has to be primary. The gospel has to be our greatest treasure or, or things will happen. All right, the attack must be met in the name of Jesus. As an apostle, we see uh, Paul performing exorcisms. Uh, we know he does. There's not a lot of examples of them in in the book of Acts, there's just sort of the passing mention in Acts chapter 19 that, that Paul did a lot of exorcisms. That's why you end up having the seven sons of Sceva that come along and, they, and, they, and, they, and they're casting out demons by saying, well, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So we know that Paul was, was doing those. Uh, this is the real example of it here in the scripture. And Paul gets annoyed. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and in that hour it says it left her, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the key. That does not mean the name of Jesus is like a magical Harry Potter formulation. I just got through seeing the new Fantastic Beasts movie. Fantastic's a little exaggerated, as, a, as a, it was okay. Um, but you know, the whole Harry Potter mentality is always like, you know, some magic, you, there's power in words that you say, and then, then those... And some people treat the name of Jesus that way. We, the sons of Sceva that we just talked about, they go, oh, there's a powerful name. We'll use this powerful name, this Jesus name. You know, by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They, but they had no relationship, no connection to Jesus. When we meet spiritual darkness, we, as those who know him, who are in relationship to him, 
we hold forth the name of Jesus in, in those situations we, we, uh, when, when we're afraid, when, when we're up against fears as, as believers. We proclaim the name of Jesus over those fears. And I don't mean, in, again, in a magical way, but we remind ourselves that it is the, at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every dominion, every principality is all at his feet. We know nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, so we proclaim his name over our fears. We proclaim the one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved because that is the only name that can save men from their sins and from eternal death. Even in our good works, when we offer a cup of water to those who are thirsty or a bite of food, we, we offer it in his name. Yeah, when we, when we confront darkness, it can't be in our power. I mean, if we, if we get, oh, you know, if, if I get caught up in, what's, what's Great Ben saying about Jay Bowie? Probably nothing. Uh, it, it's probably, probably not a known name. But, but if I got caught up thinking about that, or what did they say about Grace Community Church? i got to get out there and defend the name of Grace Community Church. Eh. Right? What's, what's Jay? What's Grace Community Church? It's the name of Jesus. That's, that's got to be the banner. That's what, that, what, that's what leads the way. That's where, that's where the only power and authority rests. The attack from darkness will be clothed in human form. I mean, at first you have that overtly demonic thing. I don't think we see much of that where we can identify and go, ooh, that's a demonic spirit speaking through someone or something of that nature. But very quickly, what starts out in this pure demonic form takes on human, human uh, form, doesn't it? The attack can become violent when money is on the line. Scripture says money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's pretty true. Uh, we see that again and again. Imagine if you're trying to bring this into kind of a modern context, imagine a neighborhood that has a lot of crime. And uh, so you have gangs, you have prostitution, you have drug addiction and so forth. Imagine the gospel really taking root in such a community. Gospel preaching churches, communities, believing and preaching the gospel. What's gonna start to happen? People are gonna start to get saved. Of the prostitutes, some of them are gonna get saved. Of the Johns, a lot of them hopefully are gonna get saved. You know, the pimps get saved. The, the, the ones running drugs get saved. The people doing the drugs get saved. Now what's happened? You have just cut the profit margin of organized crime and that will not be appreciated. The gospel often has that effect. It says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Their hope of gain was gone. How dangerous is that? Have you ever gotten in between a man and his money in any way, shape, or form? You're smart enough not to do that most of the time, right? I know, I'm not gonna mess with that guy's profit margin. I don't want him coming after me. I'll never forget years ago in, uh, in Evansville, my first, first community where I was a pastor. Evansville started having the problem of juice bars. And you go, wait a second, I don't see the problem of the juice bar. Who doesn't love a good Jamba Juice? Anybody here ever actually have a Jamba Juice? Yeah? Okay. You know they're evil, right? Um, 
Kidding, I've never had a Jamba Juice ice. It sounds delicious. I mean, what's wrong with a juice bar? Well, okay, so here's what a juice bar was. You might cover your children's ears. I'll, I'll try to make it as, you'll see what, how pernicious that was. Uh, okay, so it turns out when, it, when you're talking about like nudity and public nudity and, and, and strip, strip these kinds of clubs and so forth, the reason the government can control that is because it falls under like the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms because alcohol is sold. Well, people realize, oh, well, if we want a little more raw entertainment here, all we have to do is stop selling alcohol. We'll just sell juice, juice bars, okay? So that thing became a thing, and, and, and those of us who, who saw this as a blight on the community were kind of speaking out about it and writing some newspaper uh, you know, letters to the editor and this kind of thing. And they held a, a public meeting at the, at the courthouse for the city hall, and I went to it, and uh, it was realized real quickly there wasn't a whole lot legally yet we could do and uh but i remember after it was over i I went and got on the elevator to leave and there were these two guys behind me in the elevator i don't think they knew me from adam so that i wasn't in danger but one of them very loudly turned said to the other they do not know who they are messing with Mm, could it be satan I didn't say that, I thought that. I kept my mouth shut, but yeah. I mean, this was, these were people obviously who had a vested financial interest in, and they were not interested in that being, being put out of, out of commission. When the preaching of the gospel hits pocketbooks, expect things to become violent. When men are lovers of money more than lovers of people's soul, then of course, you know, this, this is not, if it affects their bottom line, they're not going to be okay with it. And if as a church we stand for those things that, that work against that bottom line, then, then that will be opposed. And, and that will just be a normal day for the church. There won't be anything weird or strange or wrong about that, but it will be, it will be normal. The attack will be worse when we clash with culture. We've kind of entered into a different phase by this point in the book of Acts. We're getting further and further away from Jerusalem. We're getting further and further away from Jewish enclaves. We're moving more and more into Gentile areas and, and, a, and a much different dominant culture. It's not a culture that's been affected that much by, by Judaism. It's, it's one that is, is much more affected by the Greek gods and Greek understandings. It says, and when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, now listen, listen to what their point is. How are they trying to convince the magistrate? These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. They're against our culture here. They're not playing right within the context of our culture. Do you see where the cultures don't quite match up very well? At Philippi, you could legally own a girl. And you could, you could make sure and, and, and you know, hopefully if, if you hadn't already gotten a possessed one, you could get her possessed. But anyway, so you could have this possessed girl and then just, just sort of pimp her out for her fortune-telling abilities. And that was just a day at the office. This is our culture. This is normal. This is okay. What, who are they to come in here and tell us differently? It's like when you go, how many have ever been to Vegas? Walk down the strip in Vegas? Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's still being done, but you know, at one time people would walk up and hand you their business card. 
and you'd get hit every you know, 12 feet by somebody handing you a business card. And it was escort services of different, different kinds. Here, you know, here's so-and-so. Check her out. Um, and you, know, you come from the Midwest, and you're like, oh, you know, what's going on here? But it's a normal day in Vegas, baby. This is, just, this is just how we live, and who are you? If you don't like Vegas, don't come to Vegas. If you don't like Philippi, get out of Philippi. If you don't like Dodge, get out of Dodge. The gospel was alien. It was challenging. It, was, it stood there in one sense. Here it is bringing the good news, the good news of salvation, but it's clashing with culture in a way that culture doesn't appreciate. There's a reason why anthropologists just go apoplectic when they hear about Christian missionaries going to an unreached people groups. Have you ever seen one of these, uh, these videos where, oh, we're flying over the Amazon and we see these people and nobody knows who they are and they've been unreached and untouched by Western civilization and the first thing anthropologists will do is say, okay, nobody go in there. Don't you dare go in there and ruin that wonderful, pure, pristine, natural culture. I mean, these people are running around afraid of demonic spirits all the time, but you know, we don't want to ruin that because they know that when Christians go there, they don't go in there saying, oh, I just want to change your culture, but it will always change culture. The gospel will always confront and change aspects of culture. You look back over the history of it, you think about the, the early years within the church's time in, in the, the Greek-Roman world, you had infanticide opposed and eventually you know, put out of business, exposure of infants, uh, that kind of thing. In India, the time-honored practice of sati or sati, how many know what that was? Yes? You take, you take a guy, he's died, and uh, you have a nice funeral pyre, and well, his wife is superfluous at this point. Are we all agreed? Like, yeah. So you throw her on the funeral pyre. That's what they used to do in India. And when, and when the gospel came to India and the missionaries started preaching and working, they worked against that practice and it, and it, and it, was, and it was outlawed. So, but it always, we clash with culture. And that's where we will face the greatest pushbacks is when we actually challenge culture. Of course, we don't do that in Great Bend. I'm kind of measuring whether I can say this next part. Let's say that, I just, just, I'm just gonna make something up here. Suppose in Great Bend there were leagues or teams that say, uh, we want your children every Sunday. Well, not every Sunday, we just want them, well, let's see, during this season we'll need them about 10 out of 12 weeks, and during this season we'll need them about 11 out of 12 weeks, and just, just, just imagine such a thing. Now again, because this never happens, but just imagine that the churches said, no, you can't have them. That's not acceptable. Sports is okay, but when it comes to panthers and cougars and pythons, uh, we're going to protect our children. Well, who are you? Who are you to come along and tell us that the way we live here in Philippi is wrong? The way we live here in Great Bend is wrong. Are you, not a, are you not a patriot? Do you not like your city? Do you not care about the spirit of, of camaraderie that makes up a, a football team or a baseball team or whatever else it is? And, and to that we say, no, that's fine. But, but our children, we care more about their souls than anything else, so they're gonna be in church with us on Sunday. So thank you very much. So if, 
if your sport thing keeps them away from the people of God, then the answer is no. What just, I'm just saying it's a theoretical. What, 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 what would happen in our culture? There would be pushback. There'd, and, and sadly, there'd be a lot of pushback within the church. Finally, if you really want to understand the nature of this conflict, the attack can be physically violent. It says, the crowds joined in attacking them, and the magistrate tore the garments off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. So this got bad really fast. Again, remember, Paul's head has to be spinning. I mean, he's, he's made of flesh and blood just like you and I. He's thinking, man, this was going so well. Like 20 minutes ago, this was all going really, really well. We had that nice little prayer, prayer gathering, and, every, and we had Lydia and people. And now all at once, you know, he's led before just, just that alone. Just be, can you imagine even being brought before an entire city? with people yelling and screaming. And it doesn't stop there. They humiliate you. They tear your, their, your clothes off of you. I don't know whether it was half naked or fully naked. But either way, I mean, this is humiliating. It's embarrassing. He's being beaten by the crowd. The magistrate's having him beaten with rods, so he's getting a good old-fashioned caning. Then that's not the end of it either. They then take Paul and Silas, they throw him into a prison. This isn't a nice, pretty prison. I mean, I don't want to be in prison anywhere. I don't think being in prison is a good thing, but I would really not want to be. It's not even the prison. It's the inner prison. Like, it's in the deep, dark, dank dungeon of the prison, and then they put him in stocks. Man, I tell you what, I complained about the hard pillows at Super 8 on the way to, to Louisville. I thought, man, I'm suffering for the gospel. <laughs> and you're in there, you just, can you, okay, spend a night like that and tell me if you don't have a crick in your neck at the that's, that's physical, that is, that is violent. Darkness pushes back, the devil wars against the people of God. Hell resists, it resists the encroachment of the gospel and sometimes it manifests itself in actual physical violence. Now can that happen in Great Bend? It could, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, would, I hope it doesn't, I hope it never comes to that. But I mean, it, I would be wrong as a pastor to lead you to believe that, that it will always be nice prayer meetings down at the river because it may not always be. I mean, if you take a stand for the gospel and you proclaim the gospel and you start clashing with people's bottom line and you start clashing with culture, just and all you're doing is representing Christ. All you're doing is proclaiming the gospel, but it comes with consequences that, that people don't like and it can end in violence. The bottom line is we're in conflict. The gospel is like that, that alien spaceship landing on another planet and, and people don't take kindly to something that judges them and makes them uncomfortable and, in, and sort of interferes. We preach a gospel of hope, of joy, of salvation, of freedom from sin, eternal life. They're all good things. I mean, our, our, we're not out there trying to preach, oh, you guys are all wrong. That's not, that's not the primary message of the gospel. But as we preach the name of Jesus, that name of Jesus is coming into conflict with darkness. It's unavoidable if we're truly preaching the gospel. And where that happens, there's going to be pushback. Set your heart on Christ. Set your heart on Christ. Make sure you know the gospel, that you are 
gospel-saturated. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, like I said earlier, you need, to, you need to be regularly meeting with the people of God, sitting under the preaching of his word, being in his word, being in fellowship, so that that just permeates who you are so that you are strong against the day that you face that pushback. Preach the gospel of God's grace. Hold forth the banner of his name. Jesus Christ is the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if you're here today and you don't know that name, then no matter the consequence to us, we want you to hear that name, the name of Jesus. That it is through him, him and him alone, through his work on the cross, that you can be forgiven of your sins, cleansed of all unrighteousness, Im, Im, imputed to, to you the righteousness of Christ. The gospel can free you from all of that. But yeah, it will, it's gonna clash with culture. It's just, it's just how it is. It's gonna, it's gonna come up against those things and, uh, and that's the nature of it. We're in a battle. It's a battle for men's souls. It's a battle of literal light against the dark. And, and I pray for you today that, that as you look at that, that your heart says, man, I wanna be, I wanna be where there is light and life and joy and glory and eternal life and that today you would turn, turn from that, that past and turn and believe in Jesus Christ and he will save you. And then, and then get engaged in the church because there will be pushback and, and you will experience it and we wanna be there to encourage you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your name is so worthy that, that not only have we experienced the joy in our own hearts and lives to know you, to walk with you, and be in union with you, but, but we have that desire to see that name proclaimed over Great Bend and, and every, other, every other place on the planet from, from here to the ends of the earth. We, we want your name to be believed upon and, and praised and glorified. So help us to keep doing that, to keep proclaiming the gospel. Lord, help us to be aware of the darkness so that we will not grow discouraged because it pushes back. We experience it in our, own, in our private lives. We, we've experienced that in our church and, and we know that, that, that it, doesn't just, it doesn't just come to that point where we have nothing but smooth sailing that there will always be those, those battles and those, those, uh, those, that resistance. So, Lord, strengthen us, grow us deeply in, in the gospel truth so that, so that in the dark day we would be able to stand. And we pray that your name also might find its, its uh, proper place in the life of a person today who has not known you. But today, Lord, that that name of Jesus would would become precious to him or her. And we ask it in your name, amen.